0: The premier blinks first in the pipeline dispute with Alberta, budget fallout, and the environment minister's under fire. We'll talk about those issues and more with Global BC's Keith Baldry and the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer. Later in the show, Kamloops South MLA Todd Stone and then
1: Education Minister Rob Fleming. Accountable to you, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio
0: NL. Good morning and thank you for tuning in. It's an overcast and if the weather forecast holds out, it's going to be a snowy day here in Kamloops. Always a pleasure to be joined by Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. How's everybody doing?
2: Oh, we're great. Busy week, though.
0: (laughs) I know. It's never a dull moment these days. Uh, Speaking of that, why don't we rewind a little to yesterday and uh, the ongoing uh, what's been dubbed the pipevine dispute. Uh, It looks like Premier John Horgan blinked first in this thing, Keith.
3: Yeah, he didn't. He had to. He uh, he had no leverage on Rachel Notley. Rachel Notley had taken a very aggressive stand, banning B.C. wine into Alberta over Horgan's government's plan to craft some sort of regulation that would uh, control the, the any uh, increase in bitumen through the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And she did that. And she shot up in the polls. I mean, Albertans back her position to the hilt. Uh, it's like eight to one, nine to one in favor of of her. So politically, it was a big winner for Rachel Notley. So there was nothing Oregon could do to move her off that. And the wine industry was going to start to suffer significantly in BC. So. He had to do what uh, what he did yesterday, which is refer that whole idea of regulating uh, bitumen in in an interprovincial pipeline to the courts to decide the constitutional uh, valid. uh, validity of uh, BC's uh, attempted position here. Rachel Notley is very confident she's going to that the courts will rule in her favor or in Ottawa's favor. That Ottawa is ultimately the the uh, the uh, jurisdictional power here. So she's quite confident, and that's why she was able to step back yesterday. And she actually said John Horgan had blinked, and uh, or the BC government had blinked, and therefore she was calling off the wine war.
0: Uh, Vaughn what was the, what kind of made him blink was it uh, public pressure or was he reading stuff in the media was it just the reality of his situation as Keith suggests or or was it pressure from Ottawa perhaps
2: well i think horgan looked for a face saving way out of this for a while you know the point 5 was the problem and point 5 is the one where the province claimed it had the right to regulate increased flow of oil through a federally approved pipeline and federally run ports. So the province was saying it unilaterally had the right to do that. And that's what triggered the reaction from Alberta. And so Horgan initially, uh, you know, that was in a press release from, from George Heyman, the environment minister. So initially Horgan tried to pretend that wasn't there. Like he, he kept saying, oh, we're just going to consult British Columbians. There's nothing to take to court. You know, we're just consulting British Columbians. So then, then quietly they approached Ottawa and said, look, would you agree to join us in sending this to court? For reference, Uh, it's called a reference case. Governments are allowed to ask the courts to rule on something. The Fed said no way. Personally, part of it, you're right, is that Ottawa wasn't interesting in bailing British Columbia out on a mess that the British Columbia government had created. The other thing was the federal government was not going to concede in any way, shape, or form that the province had any ability to override federal jurisdiction in this. That's a that's a fundamental for Ottawa. They believe it's there in the Constitution. They think that the federal power to far from the province being able to override the federal government, it's the reverse. The federal government can override the province. So after all that failed, I think what Keith just said is is correct, that they, the there was no way out uh, of the boycott on the B.C. wine industry. Alberta is our number two customer. That was going to affect the industry. Alberta was looking at other options, which could have hurt British Columbia as well. So having all other ways out failed, they put 0.5 on hold and said they won't exercise the right they think they have until the courts say they have the right. So it's a significant back down, and uh, and I think what drove it was this was the only escape hatch they could see.
0: And as we speak, gentlemen, of course, uh, we're having an announcement uh, about Ottawa's child care money, which we knew about several weeks ago, which was sort of mysteriously delayed uh, in sync with this dispute between BC and Alberta. Uh, Things back off yesterday, and suddenly, magically, we have this announcement uh, happening, Keith.
3: Yes, this is the $150 million uh, over three years from the feds for child care. Uh, it was supposed to be uh, announced some time ago, according to John Horgan, there was a scheduling conflict which I didn't quite buy, uh, but uh, magically uh, this comes together uh, one day after the wine war ends. Ottawa was not happy with the fact that this was ha- this wine war, the pipe wine war was happening. Uh, and I think uh, is is more than relieved that uh, it's been settled between the two provinces. But it's only been settled in that this has now gone to court. Uh, the Kinder Morgan pipeline issue is very much still in flux, still a hot button issue in British Columbia. It is bound for major protests and other court challenges down the line. So it's good that the childcare uh, announcement is going to be out of the way. And that's good news for for BC. BC needs a lot of money from Ottawa, and it's going to be interesting if it continues to maintain its its, uh, stance that it has control over this pipeline, despite Ottawa's jurisdiction. uh, I don't like the chances of BC necessarily accessing all those federal dollars uh, over the next three
0: years. Uh, As a sideline to this pipeline dispute, uh, the Environment Minister George Heyman uh, getting absolutely hammered in the the legislature this week over a meeting he had, an anti-pipeline strategy meeting uh, that he attended, a dinner, uh, and with the Liberals kind of saying, well, how much information did you pass on to these people about what your strategy will be as far as uh, battling Trans Mountain? Uh, Some pretty serious kind of insinuations here, Vaughn. Uh, What's going on? Is Heyman in trouble?
2: Well, it was interesting to see George Heyman standing next to John Horgan yesterday looking somewhat chagrined. It was his press release, of course, that triggered this whole war. Horgan was actually out of the country when the press release came out, So there was George having to stand there and, and while the premier announced this, and uh, I was sort of looking at his face and going, I've seen that face on George Heyman before, that was sort of the expression he had on his face back in December when he had to stand next to Horgan, when Horgan announced that the government was going to go ahead and build Site C. So, you know, I think it's a setback for Heyman. I think Heyman, to get straight what happened on the 30th of January, the Heyman's ministry provides a bunch of environment groups with the announcement in advance on the 29th. And the environment groups rustle up a bunch of press releases saying this is a wonderful thing, and those press releases start flowing out within minutes of the announcement on the 30th. Uh, most of us kept them, and you can see from the time keys on And the environmentalists are hailing this as a terrible blow to Kinder Morgan. One group said if they had stock in Kinder Morgan, they'd start selling it right now because this pipeline's not going to happen because of this Edict. Well, you know, then George Heyman that night goes to a dinner on Bowen Island with the anti. pipeline pipeline crew. It's a a celebratory dinner for what Heyman has done earlier in the day. Well, you know, I see some environmental groups coming out yesterday with sort of trying to provide Heyman with cover and saying, oh, it's no big deal what they've done here. But it's a significant back down, and I do think it's a blow to Heyman's credibility.
0: It seems to be about detail here, Keith. Uh, Mary Polak has come out and said, well, you know, it's not uncommon to give a heads up, but it would be just sort of the bare information. Uh, And the allegations here seem to be that Heyman perhaps passed on much more, and that, of course, may have had an impact on on stocks. Uh, Is there a potential here for something where he could be in serious trouble or, or no?
3: He doesn't look good in this at all, um, but I don't. You know, John Horgan's not firing him or anything like that, so it's not like this is a resignation scenario. But I go back to John Horgan telling me in our year-end interview last December, he said we words to the effect that we have to shed our activist past, you know, where we lived on the protest line and the protest rallies, and become a government for all people. What Horan, what Horven, uh, excuse me, what Heyman did here. Uh, was p- uh, precisely the opposite. Going to a, a celebration dinner on Bowen Island with the, with the Kinder Morgan Strategy Group, which is a who's who of people, Uh, uh, organizations who are aligned to block uh, and, and ensure the Kinder Morgan pipeline never gets built is precisely the opposite of what Horgan was talking about. That was what Heyman would do when he was in opposition. I mean, that's what an opposition member does, not what a cabinet minister does, which is meet with a group of people who are determined to defy the federal government and the, the, uh, probably the rule of law in blocking this this pipeline. It's an activist move rather than a government minister move, and that's why Horman looks, uh, I think, somewhat terrible in this whole thing.
0: All right, to finish off uh, this line of questioning, uh, just a quick question to both of you. Uh, can we put this issue to bed? Uh, is there going to be more fireworks between B.C. and Alberta? Obviously the wine thing setting off a cavalcade of news stories. Uh, are we going to see another sort of round out there potentially or no, Vaughn?
2: Uh, no, I mean, look. This is not over by any means. This was a sideshow. The real battle against the pipeline continues. I think the, the you've still got a court challenge. We haven't heard from the federal court of appeal. The province is talking about using other abilities to challenge this, legitimate in court. And of course, you've got if the construction goes ahead and all the conditions have not been met yet, you've got the threat of blockading protesters, people chaining themselves to bulldozers, and we still don't know how the federal and provincial government are going to re- react to illegal protests, although the premier certainly yesterday indicated, Shane, that uh, uh, that he's at least wants to follow the law, which is encouraging with the provincial government that they're going to uphold the law. It's, it's always, always nice to know. <laughs>
0: Last word to you, Keith.
3: Yeah, this fight is just actually just beginning rather than uh, than ending. I mean, the NDP government's been in power for seven, eight months. They're the ones who are opposed to the Kinder Morgan pipeline. The BC Liberals were not, so we would not have seen this fight with the Liberals. But the NDP is going to be around in government for at least a few years, and that and they're going to still use every tool in the toolbox, and they're going to find more tools than this one.
0: All right, uh, let's take a quick break here on Inside Politics on Radio NL, and we'll pick up our conversation with Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer on the other side.
1: Radio NL. NL RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Centre. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics.
0: Here's NL News Director, Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome back. We're talking to Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer. Uh, Guys, as you know, because you're in lockup, we had the big provincial budget this week. A very interesting one. The first full budget from the NDP provincial government. Uh, The one thing that seems to have come out of it that's causing sort of the most waves is this payroll health tax, Vaughn.
2: Yeah, the government is taking a bit of heat on this, uh, partly because it rejected the advice of its own panel that was reviewing uh, the the right way to phase out the medical services plan premiums, and just went ahead and did this payroll tax. Uh, the, the panel had suggested some other alternatives, and... The New Democrats didn't take the advice, so there's some controversy around that. Having said that, I mean, I think people will be glad to be rid of medical services plan premiums. Mm-hmm. I think that overall the budget got a favorable rating, including from some business groups who no big fans of the NDP, but on balance, I think. Uh, and they also got a favorable rating from the bond rating agencies, the debt rating agencies. Preliminary verdict is pretty good. So, you know, for an NDP budget, this one did pretty well.
0: Uh, Keith, uh, on this payroll, it's health tax. I mean, we knew that they needed to drum up money to pay for stuff, but obviously this is one of the ways they chose to do it.
3: Yeah, you know, a lot of people didn't see this thing coming. Uh, that was the main shock in the lockup, talking to the stakeholder lockup when they joined the media lockup. Uh, that was the buzz in that room, that this was uh, this was uh, out of left field. Uh, in retrospect, I think we should have seen something like this coming because uh, the budget could not withstand... a. Uh, close to two billion dollar hole blown away by eliminating msp premiums i mean the money had to come from somewhere uh... it wasn't going to come from an income tax I- uh, increase uh... i don't think that was ever on the table uh... but uh... An employer health tax is now the reality and you're going to see some businesses uh, complain about this. Carol James maintains it's a very small percentage of businesses that will be adversely affected. Uh, we'll see as we go along over the next year or so whether how many businesses actually uh, are, are hurt by this and, and perhaps even lead to, uh, to layoffs of some of the small businesses in terms of their staff. But I agree with Juan. By and large, I think this budget was pretty successful for the NDP. It, um, it increased services along the lines that they, they said they would increase services services, particularly for those at the marginal ends of uh, society, and, uh, and other than that uh, payroll tax, the mo- other taxes were mostly confined to housing and, and high-end housing, so, so it wasn't no increase in the sales tax, so there was a huge amount of tax increases when you total up all the money here, I mean, the health, the health uh, employer tax, the employer health tax. Over the course of a full year, is will bring in 1.8 billion dollars. So that, that's a huge tax. Uh, and when you throw all the other taxes into it, you're approaching almost three million, three billion dollars in one year. Uh, and over three years, you know, you get the, the total becomes much, much larger. So it's a traditional NDP budget, and that it increases taxes and increases services. But I think, by and large, uh, Carol James is going to get pretty good marks on this.
0: Uh, as you mentioned, Keith, the other big initiative here, and we were all looking at it uh, ahead of time because it was teased pretty extensively. Uh, was on the housing side to try and tackle the out-of-control housing market. We knew they were going to target speculation. Uh, they've tabled their plan with sort of an expanded foreign buyer's tax, introducing a speculation tax. Uh, and I was kind of caught that Carol James uh, admitted they're looking to drive down prices, which has caused some concern out there, Vaughn.
2: Yeah, because it's not surgery. The The government wants to drive down prices without driving them down so far that they leave a whole bunch of homeowners underwater because they've got mortgages that are bigger than the value of their houses. Um, They want to kind of pop a a bubble uh, for foreign buyers and speculators, but, you know, the the great risk of doing all that is that you either put uh, depression in housing starts or you uh, create a bit of a mini-recession with homeowners who, because they don't feel rich anymore, they feel like their house is worth less than the mortgage, don't go out and spend as much. Um, That's It's happened elsewhere. The government doesn't believe it'll happen here, that it'll be that bad. But James is interesting. She's also saying they're going to monitor the situation. They're going to think about tweaking and changes and all this. And I think that's probably a wise idea. You probably heard Andrew Weaver the Greens asking the New Democrats' question this week, which is, you say you're going to stabilize the housing market. What do you mean by stable? What do you mean by affordable? Yeah. How far down do you want to drive housing prices? And we're not getting any answers on any of that.
0: Yeah, I think affordab- uh, the definition of affordable is very, very, very much up in the air. Uh, Keith, the biggest thing here was trying to tackle that foreign foreign buyers market, which seems to take a lot of heat as well as the sort of overall speculation. I was caught by the fact that they didn't really expand the foreign buyers tax. Properly. Province-wide, it's only a few areas, sort of the metropolitan areas around the province. Should should they perhaps have just said, okay, it's the BC thing?
3: Well, I don't know. You know, I I think the jury's out on the effectiveness uh, of this foreign buyers tax. Uh, Prices are still uh, uh, insane in Metro Vancouver, well after this foreign buyers tax has been introduced. You know, the issue of affordability. I just think this thing is is um, so far down the road; it's not coming back. I mean, yeah. housing prices in Vancouver so they go so an average home goes from two point five million to two million. Well, so what? I mean, that is still unaffordable to people. People cannot afford a house, uh, a mortgage, north of a million dollars, and that's what we're looking at. I, I just don't. See, I just never thought the government had the tools or the power to actually tackle this thing uh, and again without running the risk as one says of going too far and suddenly triggering a complete meltdown in the market which have, would bankrupt a lot of people who've got high mortgages and suddenly would find themselves underwater uh with their banks so it's a uh, it's a precarious situation and I don't think the the NDP is going to fare much better than the liberals. The one other thing I'm keeping my eye on, Shane, is the NDP's action on the rental side, where the government does have some power, mm. where it can exert rent controls and and bans on, on rent evictions or demo evictions, and that's what we're looking for this spring. That was mentioned in the throne speech, it was mentioned in the budget, but the budget's not the place we, where this would necessarily show up. This would show up in, in amendments to legislation, and I think we're going to see that this spring. So I think there's going to be more action on the rental side than the ownership side.
0: All right. Uh, we're almost out of time, but really quickly to both of you, and I'll start with you, Vaughn. Other than the big ticket items, ones that have grabbed the headlines, uh, anything else uh, sort of uh, beside that that, kept, that caught your eye in this budget?
2: There's an awful lot of money in this budget that's not allocated yet. There's about $6 billion over the next three years that they haven't allocated. Some of that is a safety margin, forecast allowances, contingencies, but a lot of it is unallocated spending money for priorities that have yet to be identified. Some of it will go to paying... Uh, Wage increases for public sector unions. All their contracts expire next year. Some of it will go to indigenous people, they've told us. Some of it, it's to address promises that the New Democrats haven't kept yet. So there is a certain amount of room to move in this budget. There's probably some good news and some uh, spending stuff still to come. And that does give them some room to move as well, Shane, if there's a bit of a downturn in the economy.
0: All right, last word to
2: you, Keith.
3: I'm going to take something very minor, um, and that has not been mentioned yet. We agree with uh, Vaughn; those are the big ticket items. Uh, buried in the budget was a was a, a few paragraphs. Where the government, for the first time in a long time, has acknowledged it is going to be, it's going to be expanding the public service by at least 500 positions. And an acknowledgement in there that a number of those positions are tied to the, the measures on cannabis. And to me, that's a, that 500 figure may represent the number of people that are going to be hired to work in government-run cannabis stores over mm. the a little while. So that just jumped out at me as, as sort of a minor thing, but interesting for the government has been contracting itself for years uh, in terms of you just really don't expand the civil service. Now, for the first time, it's gone out of its way to flag that it's actually going to expand it by at least 500, which is a significant number
0: of people. Yeah, the mayor here in Kamloops referenced cannabis enforcement officers, so I don't know if that would be part of that or not.
3: Would be part of that, that would be part of that, so yeah. it's, a, it's a new growth area of government.
0: <laughs> Pun intended. Uh, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you much.
3: Take
0: okay, care. Bye. There we go. Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer will take a quick break here on Inside Politics and Radio NL. On the other side, we'll be joined in studio by Kamloops South MLA Todd Stone.
1: Radio NL. RadioNL.com. NL. Radio Local. First. For Camloops Computer Center. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL.
0: Once again, Here's Shane Woodford. Good morning, and welcome back to Inside Politics. Pleasure to be joined in studio by Kamloops South MLA Todd Stone. How are you?
4: I'm good. I'm actually in studio with you for the first time.
0: It's funny. I think you've been on the show, what, three times? I this think is so, the yeah. first time in yeah. studio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do the show mostly. Yeah, I'm, studio, I'm, so. I'm,
4: I'm feeling really good about coming in mm. on the day that you're not feeling so well, but yeah. <laughs> you
0: got to get better. Fighting through it. <laughs> Fighting through it. Uh, okay. Uh, you and I were talking off the air. Never a dull moment in BC politics these days. Uh, yesterday, no exception. Uh, we've all been following developments in this so-called pipe find dispute, but uh, John Horgan backing down in a big way. Uh, what did you think of what you saw yesterday?
4: Well, uh, John Horgan blinked in a big way yesterday and and you know thank God uh, I mean uh, th- this whole mess was created by by him and by his government uh, with the actions uh, that they uh, they unilaterally took uh, weeks ago that uh, instigated Alberta to take the action that they did and we found ourselves in a in a, in a trade war uh, there have been uh, pretty significant consequences in the wine industry and and for uh, contractors that supply oil and gas and and uh, the energy sector in BC and tourism operators were really beginning to feel it in the in in the Kootenays uh, in particular Particular, uh, and all of this was avoidable. Uh, now, uh, in, if that's not incompetent enough, now we learn that uh, there's, they're going to refer a question uh, of uh, jurisdiction to uh, to the courts, which seems to be enough to have pacified um, uh, Alberta in the short term. Although they're suspending their action uh, against the <laughs> wine industry, they, they, they didn't end it; they've yeah. suspended it. Um, what the heck is the question going to be? Uh, how long is this going to take? Uh, you know, what guarantee is there that this isn't going to, you know, fire back up again? Um, you know, I, I I think they're they're very very uh, poorly mishandling this file. I, and I, w- uh,
0: I would assume the question would be around jurisdiction. I well, mean, I, I, sp- specifically around whether they can affect or impact the flow of bitumen. Uh,
4: and he was asked that question several times yesterday uh, and couldn't provide a, a direct answer other than to say they're going to consult with their lawyers and, and uh, you know figure out what that question is going to be. This, uh, this is going to cost a whole bunch of taxpayers' money. It's going to take some time. It's going to continue to, to, to create uncertainty, not just, not just with respect to this this particular project, uh, yeah. but just generally, uh, when you're when you're when you're a big uh, uh, multinational corporation looking to invest billions of dollars somewhere in the world, uh, why in the heck would you invest in British Columbia today when you have a government that's changing the goalposts midstream on projects? That's uh, you know trying to do everything they can to you know prevent these kinds of projects from actually happening. So, well, uh, I don't government. think we're,
0: I don't think we're out of the woods. Yeah. Well, you were in government. Do they have the power to stop a federally approved project?
4: We don't believe they do. Uh, the federal government uh, has jurisdiction over. The movement of, of resources uh, across provincial b- borders—that's that's fundamental to the Canadian Constitution, the economic union that we have in this country. Uh, so I think that you know that they're 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 well within their rights to 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 take it to to the courts and refer the question and and have the courts come back. But uh, you know I think I think the the answer is going to be uh, British Columbia. You've wasted a whole bunch of taxpayers' money and a whole bunch of time. This is a federal a federally uh, approved project, uh, and um, you know don't forget as well, Shane. They're they're a one and a half billion dollar ocean protection fund, uh, which uh, you know they say they, 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 this is all about protecting our coastline. Well, we couldn't agree with them more. Uh, that's why we took all the actions we did. Uh, the federal government has said, the prime minister has said uh, that one and a half billion dollar ocean protection fund uh, is uh, is is hanging in the balance. Uh, should British Columbia continue to uh, to try and prevent this project from happening? <laughs>
0: Um, plenty more on that story
4: left I'm sure uh, we saved. have
0: not heard the end of it unfortunately okay. uh budget this week uh, it's getting okay marks uh, uh you're obviously not going to be a fan of it but the payroll health tax thing is, seems to be is what's sideswiping everybody no one saw this thing coming uh, your thoughts on this thing
4: well I, I, I overall uh you know I'm not a fan of the budget I think there are some there are some aspects of it uh, and I, I spoke on this in the house a couple days ago um you know their 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 emphasis on uh, childcare. that was something I talked about as the number yep. one priority for me in the recent leadership campaign, uh, uh, although I'm, I'm not entirely pleased with how they're going about those child care investments. If you, if you make uh, have a family income over $80,000 $80, uh, which is very firmly the middle class in this province, uh, you get nothing uh, mm. f- from a child care perspective. I think their um, uh, their bait and switch on the MSP and, and the employer uh, payroll tax uh, was a huge shock. Uh, interior plumbing and heating here in Kamloops. Uh, not inland. Uh, not inland. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, interior not inland <laughs> um uh, you know they they're they're going to be hit with uh, with likely a, a, an additional uh, uh, hit to their bottom line of um, anywhere from 180 to 200 thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, you know they already they cover MSP right now. Uh, they'll save a little bit when that the other half of it's eliminated. But when this payroll tax comes in, it's going to whack them hard. They're just one example of many uh, businesses that uh, that are going to be hit hard. And so what do these businesses do? Do they lay people off? Do they um, you know do they st- increase their prices? Uh, so I think there's, uh, and then a school district is going to be hit. Yeah, uh, city two, hall, two hundred thousand, but potentially a quarter of a million dollars with uh, with city hall here in Kamloops. Uh, I'm not sure how the taxpayers at Kamloops feel about you know spending
0: more. Um, you were you saying know. the government d- might have to do something about that, yeah?
4: Well, I, you know, I, I think that uh, that John Horgan and the NDP are going to be in a in a in a corner pretty quick. Uh, I think I think local taxpayers here in Kamloops and across the province are going to say you know no, this is not uh, this is not on. Um, and you know, for a government that uh, that prided itself on uh, um, saying they were going to do more for education funding. Uh, they were going to, you know, put more into the school system. Well, not only have they have they not done that, uh, but uh, they, any additional funding that they may have put into the system from an operational perspective, they're clawing back in terms of these uh, these healthcare uh, premiums, uh, this payroll tax. Um, on the capital side, uh, you know, they're they're planning on spending two billion dollars in capital uh, in, in, for, for schools around the province over a three-year period. Uh, that was similar to what we, uh, the same as what we. Had proposed over a three-year period, they're going to spend 121 million dollars less on school capital in this forthcoming year mm. uh, than we had planned. Uh, there's nothing in the budget uh, that speaks to the, the, the need for school capital here in uh, SD73. Uh, we've been advocating for that. Uh, nothing uh, uh, f- with respect to uh, you know continuing to accelerate uh, Canada projects and and on and on it goes. So uh, so some highlights the th- things that I was you know I was I was happy to see that I can definitely support in the budget. But uh, but I'll tell you eight billion dollars tax increases overall since this government took power seven months ago, and a $5.5 billion increase in spending, it's double the rate of uh, of, uh, of, of growth uh, revenue growth projected over the next three years. Uh, I don't think British Columbians can afford uh, the NDP uh, as we see in this budget. Uh, on the
0: education side here, you were telling me before the budget that you were hearing that they weren't going to get anything on that thing. It's $2 billion. It's not, there's no district by district breakdown. I mean, they're going to hand out the money as they see fit, as you would have in a, in a Ministry of Transportation budget. But uh, is Kamloops going to get any you think, well, I, I you hope so. Me?
4: I, I mean, I you know we we uh, Peter Millibar and I have uh, have uh, been advocating every opportunity we get. We're going to continue to you know uh, strongly uh, encourage the capital that our district needs with uh, you know the education minister Rob Fleming. Uh, but let's be clear: there's two billion dollars in the capital budget over a three-year period. Uh, the government said that they're going to replace every portable in Surrey. Uh, there will be no portables in Surrey by the end of their of their their four-year term. Uh, if they're actually Intent on on fulfilling that commitment, that means there's there's no school capital available for for virtually anywhere else in the province. Um, they're, mm. they're not ratcheting down the seismic uh, upgrade program in the lower mainland, nor should they. Uh, but it doesn't appear that they've added any additional capital that would enable them to get on with much needed uh, capital projects like we uh, you know we we uh, we have here in Kamloops. So uh, we're going to shine a bright light on that. Uh, I hope you know hope Rob Fleming you know has some good
0: news uh, yeah. well, uh, for we'll you later later today
4: later. <laughs> uh, and maybe. He does, but uh, I'm not I'm not holding my breath.
0: All right. Uh, quick question to squeeze in here before we have to let you go. Uh, a story with Claire Trevena and uh, your old buddy Terry Lake on this taxation in- inequity. We pay a 40% cost for Royal Inland Projects uh, or whatever hospital in the interior north, whatever. Uh, down in Lower Mainland, uh, they get a pass on that for transportation costs. You're a former transportation yeah. minister. The logic there is that they pay three times more transportation than anywhere else in the province. So is there a taxation inequity between the Lower Mainland and the rest of the province, Todd?
4: uh certainly all of the analysis that I've seen that that was done in the Ministry of Finance that was done in the Ministry of Transportation when we were in government indicated that there uh, there was a, a gap in terms of the the tax burden uh, between taxpayers in the interior of the north and and in the lower mainland that was before the government removed the tolls on the Patello yeah. uh, or on the portman and before they they, they announced the that they were going to bring the Patello bridge replacement fully back into government and, and have all BC's taxpayers pay for those projects uh, I think people are flipping mad here in Kamloops in the interior of the north. Watch your we, body, we, mouth, we, oh, <laughs> it's, it's Friday morning. <laughs> uh, you know, I think people are mad uh, yeah. that they have to pay for the bridges down in the Lower Mainland. We that off, wasn't it, we the deal off, originally. It wasn't the deal originally. We paid off the Coquihalla with tolls, uh, he, you know, here in the interior. And we have to pay 40% of, of, of uh, hospital capital up here. So this uh, patient care tower, which will soon be breaking ground in Kamloops, uh, thankfully, uh, is, uh, you know, 40% of that $400 million is going to come out of local the pockets of local taxpayers. Meanwhile, you're building four to five billion dollars of health uh, capital in the Lower Mainland, and uh, the province is paying for for those those projects 100%. Uh, that's not fair. Uh, it was slightly out of balance uh, prior to the NDP coming into power. It's grossly out of balance now. I um, okay. think you know we need to take a look at uh, the taxation, uh, uh, you know, obligations of all citizens of British Columbia and make sure that it's fair.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, Todd, thank you. Appreciate it, man. Good to see you in studio. Good. Good to see you too. Uh, get better. <laughs> yeah, I will hopefully. The weekend comes soon enough. (laughs) Uh, That's Kamloops South MLA. Todd Stone will take a quick break at Inside Politics. And the other side, Education Minister Rob Fleming. Radio NL. NL. NL
1: RadioNL.com. Local. First. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Centre, this is Radio NL's
0: Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. Real pleasure to be joined on the phone by BC's Education Minister Rob Fleming. Rob, how are you?
1: Good, Shane. How are you?
0: I am well, sir. How's this whole government thing treating you? Not too badly, thanks. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to talk to you about. I have no idea how we're going to find well, this. Oh, I month. mean the, the budget, I would yeah. hope. <laughs> uh, Rob, off the top, you're aware of the capital need in the school district. The budget has a, uh, a, I believe it's a $2 billion infrastructure uh, budget for school capital projects. Uh, you've been here. You know what the problems are. You know what the need is. Uh, I know there's no district-by-district breakdown, but uh, is Kamloops going to get any of its capital needs met in this coming year?
1: We're working on that right now is the is the short answer, and the difficulty here is, while we have the highest uh, amount of capital in, a, in an education budget in, in generations and possibly in history in B.C. at $2 billion over the next three years, uh, we have incredible demands all over the province, and the the, the specific problem for Kamloops um when I got sworn in as minister on July 18th was that we expected to find a number of projects, including some of the capital priorities that Kamloops has had for years and years and years, to be at some stage of development, uh, you know, maybe even as advanced as the business case case stage of development, and there was nothing. The cupboard was absolutely bare, and it was left that way by the last government. So what we have done to get us closer to an announcement with Kamloops is uh, have our staff... uh, work very closely uh, with Kamloops Thompson District. Uh, I've been up there personally to see the schools because I think it's important um, in, the, in the case of their two, uh, in your district's two highest priorities. It's to uh, get rid of portables and uh, and fund additions for uh, areas of growth because Kamloops Thompson District isn't growing um, massively overall. You wouldn't call it a fast growth district, but there are pockets of growth uh, uh, in the city and, uh, and, and I think that Kamloops thompson district has been smart because they've sort of reprioritized uh, their capital budget as of june thirtieth twenty seventeen so we're working on a new five-year capital plan from them uh, we've got record uh, amounts of funding, and uh, we've been on the ground and have staff working really closely with the district, so I think things are aligning really, really well, and I hope to have something to uh, to give to you exclusively, Shane, of course. Uh, <laughs> vision.
0: <laughs> Good. You've been coming short on that end ever since you've been in government. Disappointing me. Uh, 700 kids, Rob, here in the last two years. Unexpected kids. Uh, not what they were planning for. Uh, all part of this migration out of the lower mainland, as I'm sure you're aware. Schools here are jammed. If you can't get a project uh like a brand new school on the drawing paper uh asap uh is there money there for them to open older schools to tide them over because uh, i've heard firsthand from this district if they don't get their capital needs met by next september they're fully i mean they're saying it's a crisis mode now but they're going to be broken by then
1: Yeah, there's actually districts reopening closed schools right now. And in in my own district, where we have some uh, migration from Vancouver as well here in Greater Victoria, uh, they're contemplating opening a couple of schools that were closed uh, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, Prince George, which closed something like 20 schools under the previous government, uh, reopened its very first school in... uh, in September this year, they may be looking at that again next year. Uh, and you're right; it's not it's not just because of the uh, smaller class size caps from the uh, Supreme Court decision that reversed the previous government's um, 16 years of, of, of taking funds out of the school system uh, and put some limits on the class sizes. It's also because of uh, what's going on in in, in the province. It's uh, you know, and that's why our budget is trying to address the real estate crisis, too. That was an area of of deep neglect by the previous government in the Lower Mainland. And uh, so we'll we'll have to see. But what I am uh, very optimistic about is that we're going to uh, get to investments a lot more quickly uh, when it comes to uh, school infrastructure. It's not just that we need to create new spaces, the deferred maintenance from the previous government as well. We We have a lot of schools. Uh, sliding into a poor facility condition index, and uh, we've got a huge backlog of seismic projects. So, look, since September 1st, uh, we've announced $300 million worth of investments in schools. Um, This is a record level of getting to approvals, and I'm working with Carol James, uh, the finance minister, uh, and others in the government uh, who uh, know the needs of communities like Kamloops, uh, appreciate the value of uh, schools and how important they are to community building and anchoring a neighborhood. And uh, and look, Premier Horgan has said uh, he wants to get rid of portables uh, in school districts uh, like yours and fast-growing districts as well, uh, because there's kids in B.C. right now whose entire school careers are being spent in uh, portable buildings. We can do a lot better than that in B.C.
0: Uh, on the budget side, again, Rob, this uh, this uh, payroll health tax, uh, as you may or may not be aware, we've been kind of figuring out what the costs are uh, in various sectors. Uh, we did a story this morning here with the Camelops-Thompson School District uh, basically saying that it's going to wipe out all the savings they anticipated from scrapping the MSP, and by the time the year 2021 rolls around, uh, they're going to be shelling out about $200,000, $250,000 on this thing. Uh, is there any way you can address that? Exemptions? Help? Uh, is it just the way it's going to be? What's your take?
1: Well, we're going we're to look at that, and we have some time. And the good news for um, the Camloops thompson district is that when you compare the cut we made uh, in the MSP, which we're letting the school district uh, sector keep entirely, the last time they paid full MSP for all the employees was uh, 2016-17, and that was uh, $500,000. So the district for the coming fiscal year will have uh, a net increase, if you will, uh, an additional uh, Five hundred and eleven thousand dollars, I believe, uh, to spend on learning resources in the classroom for kids, and we've also let the um, districts keep uh, money from uh, the Next Gen Computer Network. That's an extra ten million going into the school sector. Pension contributions that have been over-contributed to, instead of clawing that back. Uh, we're letting school districts uh, keep that money, too. Uh, we don't want them to spend it frivolously. We want them to, to put it into learning resources for kids. Uh, that's what parents would expect. And uh, unlike the previous government that clawed back uh, money uh, at every chance they could and called it, you know, low-hanging fruit, I think was the euphemism Christy Clark created, we believe in returning savings to the school district so that they can spend them on kids and and, and to drive improvements in our education system.
0: All right, uh, final question to sneak in here before we have to let you go. Uh, teacher shortage is an issue that I'm sure is on your radar, uh, one that has been addressed to some extent, but not entirely. Uh, I know there was an issue with the Salmon Arm School District next door to us, but a job ad they're placing just looking for any kind of university degree to fill up their uh, their on-call list. Uh, there have, was measures in the budget that may help out on that front, but uh, between now and September, Rob, uh, how can you address that?
1: Well, listen, I think it's important for your listeners to know that uh, letters of permission, as they're called, for people who don't have a teaching degree are extremely rare. We have 70,000 teaching certificate holders in the province. We have 342 people working either in the uh, independent school sector or the public school sector uh, with a letter of permission. So, you know, you can do the math. It's less than half a percent. Uh, And and in some cases, um, I would say the majority of those letter of permission teachers are Trades instructors, for example, people who have uh, demonstrated their aptitude to teach kids uh, trades uh, and be instructors but don't have a teaching degree. We're trying to actually transition people like that into getting a degree and making it flexible. But it's extremely rare. Uh, These are for teachers on call. And uh, it's regulated by the teacher regulation branch. Um, You know, some of these teachers are going to teach for less than 20 days, uh, but they still need a letter of permission. Uh, And and that's good because it allows us to have, uh, uh, you know, if there is a problem, to be able to uh, remediate that immediately. All right.
0: Rob, always a pleasure. Thank you for the time, sir. Thank you, Shane. Okay, there we go. Education Minister Rob Fleming. And that's it for today's version of Inside Politics. We'll see you right here on Radio NL next Friday.
1: Local. First. CHNL. AM610 in
0: Kamloops. RadioNL.com. The Valley's first choice for local news. And that was the end of the on-air portion of Inside Politics on Radio NL. I thought I'd throw in as a podcast bonus this week my colleague Jim Harrison's conversation with BC Finance Minister Carol James. Let's take a listen.
5: BC government took some dramatic measures in its first full budget, tabled yesterday of course. Measures that will significantly, they say, increase some taxes to which some feel falls short of the NDP's pre-election promises, some of those uh, measures. To fill in the blanks, we're pleased to have on the telephone this morning, BC's finance minister with her first budget, Carol James. Good morning.
6: Good morning, Jim. Great to be here.
5: And thank you for joining us. Well, clearly the government couldn't fulfill all of what it promised uh, to do all at once. So how far do you think these measures go? And is this just the start?
6: Uh, This is just a start, but it's also a very bold start. Um, We have been government now for seven months, and I was incredibly proud to present our first full-year budget yesterday with major investments in helping people with affordability as we committed to the people of British Columbia, improving services, and making sure that we build a long-term, sustainable economy in every corner of our province. Uh, Whether we're talking about the investments we made in childcare and housing, investments that will not only help families, and children, but also will help our economy, because when I talk to businesses, they make it clear that they've been having trouble with recruitment and retention. When they talk to people about moving to our province, they talk about the lack of childcare, they talk about the lack of affordable housing, so these are measures that not only will support families and affordability for the people in our province, they'll also increase support for businesses and for investment in British Columbia to build that long-term sustainable economy that we want to continue.
5: Let's talk about the child care component for a moment, Uh, over a billion dollars over three years, uh, benefits up to $1,250 a month uh, per infant for a low income family. Tell us how that will work, who will benefit and when the benefits will start flowing.
6: Uh, the benefits will start flowing as of April. One of the first grant starts in April. The second grant starts in September. It ramps up over the next three years, so more people will see more benefits. And by 2021, 88,000 families in our province will see support for their child care costs. You know, you have families who are paying child care fees that are as high as their mortgage or higher than their mortgage payments. And, you know, these are families who are working hard. They're uh, supporting their families. They're, they're trying to get by, and they're really struggling so a major investment in child care to provide support for families with incomes up to $111,000. In fact, if you have an income, a family income of under $45,000, you'll see your child care fees reduced or eliminated completely. That's a smart investment, a smart investment for children and families, but a smart investment, as I mentioned earlier, for businesses as well.
5: Some, like uh, West Coast Leafs, say these benefits should ultimately become universal regardless of income. Is that part of the long-term plan? Uh,
6: it's a t- 10-year plan, so we're beginning the steps here, major steps that really show the direction that we're going, and you'll see we'll, we'll evaluate how things are going over the three years. There's also support in this budget for uh, unlicensed child care centers who want to become licensed uh, to provide support for them for training, for equipment, uh, so some very big steps, and I think people will see the immediate benefit, and it'll only increase over the years.
5: Six point two billion over uh, ten years for affordable housing, uh, but that still falls short of what uh, what you guys promised, which was about a hundred and fourteen thousand new units of affordable housing. And you're relying on the private sector to build uh, a lot of the rest uh, of what you're you're talking about. What incentives are there for the private sector to join the party?
6: Well, we've said all along that uh, the housing crisis can't be solved by one particular measure and can't be solved by government alone. It really will be all of our responsibilities. So uh, we're bringing in tools to allow municipalities to encourage development, um, to look at areas where they can densify. We've had examples of church groups who've come forward and said, we have land available, but we're not sure how we can build affordable housing. That's not our business. And so we're putting in place a housing hub at BC House that will actually assist church groups, community organizations, municipalities, and First Nations groups, others who want to come forward, who have land to offer, who are willing to come to the table, and just need a little support to determine how they're going to build that affordable housing. Those are the kind of partnerships that, that I'm really excited about and that we have the opportunity to build in our province.
5: There are also significant investments in this budget in health care, as you mentioned, but also in uh, uh, for education, including capital. Uh, but I don't don't see any capital for uh, the Kamloops Thompson School District, which has been on a real vigorous campaign to get the government's attention to say, "Hey, we've been uh, left in the in the dust here, and even areas like Kelowna have had 15 times more uh, capital for their new schools uh, in the last 10 years than uh, this district has."
6: No question that uh, that the previous government really did leave the cupboards bare, uh, particularly in the education ministry for capital projects. I know our Minister of Education, Minister Fleming, has already been up to Kamloops. He's met with board. he met with staff. When we're in the process of determining those capital projects, we put the capital money in the budget, but you won't see the individual projects until they've been signed off. So um, we're looking forward to those discussions. They're continuing on right now. They've already started uh, and uh, certainly addressed addressing fast-growing districts and the challenges that you're facing in Kamloops is a priority for us.
5: Of course, to uh, pay for social programs and a more affordable BC, you've had to jack up some taxes, and um, much of that is in the area of uh, trying to control uh, the housing market. So you've increased uh, the foreign buyers tax, and that really is now extends outside of Metro Vancouver and uh, right into the interior.
6: It does. Uh, The central Okanagan is now included uh, in the foreign buyers tax. We know when you increase the tax, it's likely that speculators may look around the province to be able to to speculate in the market. We want to make sure that our housing market is there for families. If you work in a community, you should be able to afford to live in that community where your children go to school, where you work. And so bringing in... In fact, Canada's first speculation tax is going to make, we believe, a a real difference in providing more affordable housing for families. We expect that there'll be other communities who may want to join in, and we're just putting the list out. We're quite open to having that discussion with other municipalities who feel it would be a benefit to their affordable housing as well.
5: You you forecast a 27% reduction in housing starts. Uh, Is the housing market already cooling off, and might these measures uh, make it too cool?
6: Uh, in fact, what we're looking to do is moderate the housing market. I think British Columbia will always be a place where people want to live, where people want to work, where people want to look at bringing investments. We just want to make sure that people are paying their fair share of taxes. Uh, if people are avoiding taxes, if they're leaving their homes vacant and just using it as a, as a stock market, um, we want to end that because we think that British Columbians uh, deserve to make sure that everyone is paying their fair share. That's really you know, a premise that everyone believes in in our province.
5: A lot of what you've done has been expected, predicted, but uh, one thing that was not was the MSP. Uh, that's to be eliminated entirely by 2020 for individuals. But you've moved the burden onto employers. Uh, this and the announced increases in the minimum wage—they uh, say—will make it much tougher for small business to flourish in this province.
6: Well, in fact, we're protecting small business. Uh, small businesses who have a payroll under five hundred thousand will not be paying the employer's health tax. Those who have a payroll between 500000 and $1.5 will be paying a reduced amount of the payroll tax. So it's really uh, the, the majority of businesses in our province will not be pay- paying the employer's health tax. Let's also remember that we reduced MSP premiums by 50% this January, and that means a $1.3 billion savings for businesses and for individuals uh, that occurs in the 2018 year. So we believe this is a fair approach. It gets rid of a regressive tax that is tough for businesses to administer have told us that. Very tough for individuals when you make 60000 or you make a million dollars, you pay the same MSP premium. And we're the last province in this country that has an MSP premium. So getting rid of it and moving to an employer's health tax as other provinces have done, we believe is a fair approach. We're protecting small businesses. We lowered the small business tax rate in September as well. So we're continuing to look at how we can ensure that we have a competitive uh, environment for businesses and that we protect small businesses who really do create the job in our
5: province. And, and that's the rub, I guess, and that's where the opposition will come in and chime in and ask where the measures are to promote economic and business growth, uh, you mentioned a couple of them, uh, and create the jobs needed for a growing province to help pay for all of those uh, programs to make BC more affordable. Are, are there any measures in the, in the budget that you can point to that will grow the economy?
6: Well, in fact, that's critical. I couldn't agree with you more. We need to ensure that we have a long-term, sustainable, uh, strong economy in here in British Columbia. That's why we've been fiscally responsible in this budget. It's why we have balanced the budget. We, in fact, have surpluses uh, each year. We built in contingencies for the just-in-case an outside force uh, has an impact on our economy. And as well, we're eliminating PST on electricity for businesses. That gives them the opportunity to be able to make further investments and to save dollars. We have a competitive tax environment when it comes to our corporate tax and our small business tax rate. And as I mentioned earlier, the investments in housing and childcare are business investments as well.
5: Just want to back up and clarify one point. The foreign buyers tax increase, uh, does that now apply to Kamloops? Because I've seen two stories, one that it applies to the central Okanagan, another that includes uh, a reference to Kamloops. So I just wanted to clarify that.
6: (laughs) No, no Kamloops. They may decide that they want to join in, um, but uh, not at this point.
5: Why did you decide to omit Kamloops?
6: Uh, we looked at the major urban settings uh, to begin with and uh, settings that we believe they're close enough to the lower mainland that when you increase the tax, people will look at, uh, at moving their speculation dollars. Uh, but as I said, we're certainly open to communities who want to come forward and be part of the, the, uh, the tax.
5: You, uh, your budget includes a razor thin uh, surplus and you've predicted a couple of more to come. I'm just wondering is how much wriggle room do you have? Uh, if you have another big fire season, uh, presumably we're back into deficit.
6: That's really important to make sure that we're building in those contingencies, so over $500 million in the upcoming years uh, when it comes to contingencies and forecast allowance. We put in a growth rate lower than the Independent Economic Forecast Council has predicted, so again, that gives us some room. Uh, so we have been prudent in our budgeting. We've continued to make sure that those protections are built in um, because it's important to make sure that we're looking after tax dollars well.
5: Well, plenty of uh, to debate in the days and the weeks to come. B.C.'s Finance Minister, Carol James, and the NDP's first full budget. As always, appreciate talking to you and you taking the time.
6: Thank you so much, Jim. Always good to talk.
5: Another perspective on this budget and what it might offer the Kamloops
0: area when the Jim Harrison Show returns. And that was Jim Harrison talking to Finance Minister Carol James, and that's it for Inside Politics. We'll see you next week.